Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello. Hello, Cat. It, it snowed again. It snowed over there. It's horribly hazy and full of forest fires over here. I believe you said it's either burn or freeze. Yeah. Pick your poison <laughs> yes. in this day and age. You can uh, you can burn on the West Coast or freeze on the East Coast. You can either or. There's no in between. Yeah, no, the air quality is freaking horrible over here. It's uh, it's not good, Nadia. It's not it's not good at all. It's so bad that Bay Area people are now accessorizing their masks. Oh, <laughs> of course they are. The Burning Man people are pulling out their masks from uh, the playa and being like, "Look at me! Look, I'm, I'm I'm trendy. I'm dealing with uh, air that's uh, like more than halfway to actually being hazardous." Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's really. It's not great. It's like um, you're walking outside and it's a little like being in an N64 game because it's super hazy. <laughs> that draw distance. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then the state's burning from end to end. It's just wonderful, Nadia. It's all great. We live in very good times. Well, I can tell you that we do live in good times because a whole bunch of RPGs came out this past week. One that I think is good and one that's maybe not as good. Um, but try to guess which one. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I bet. I bet. Oh, no, I don't want to spoil it. Okay, go on. Don't spoil it. Okay. Okay. Uh, as usual, very busy week over at US Gamer. I mean, you wrote about like the craziest and cutest Pokemon rides in Pokemon Let's Go. Yeah, um, there are some. You can't ride on every single Pokemon, which, you know, Katie was disappointed to learn she probably can't ride on, on Oddish. Uh, Why would you pick Oddish? I don't know. She wanted mm. to ride on Oddish. I mean, fair enough. I mean, Oddish is cute and very... I want to ride Mr. Mime. There we go. I tr- <laughs> I actually tried. Okay, can I ride Mr. Mime? Can I, can, I, can I do this horrible nightmare thing? But no, he just, he just follows behind doing that thing where he presses against the air, like pretending to be in a box. Oh I'm my like, god. You're going back in your ball and I'm not using you ever again. Speaking of Mr. Mime, I mean, I feel like we should briefly comment on the Detective Pikachu trailer. Yes. <laughs> 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 I, I my initial reaction was what the hell are they thinking yeah we like the whole slack channel uh readers or listeners was basically um everyone saying i hate this oh wait i like this now yeah i no, that's uh, that was my reaction as well i went from i hate this to this isn't so bad this is actually kind of genius and that was uh what i wrote in this week's starting screen it has kind of reflected it um at least it's not boring it, it's no. unique it's it's interesting to look at no especially when um i wrote about the monster hunter movie like we saw some screens or some snapshots of the set there and, and that looks by comparison so boring and generic like army rah-rah sort of thing whereas uh pokemon the movie is or detective pikachu is so unafraid to be pokemon unapologetically pokemon yeah and monster hunter is done by the resident evil people so that i I guess it's not so surprising that it's boring snore yeah Uh, they made basically i think resident evil 2 they just they just made raccoon city toronto they didn't even try to hide it yeah i mean why would you Uh, i mean if you're gonna just make money like and you don't care about i don't know uh critics then Mm -hmm. i i just don't know why capcom would go back to them uh they must be must be going for the lowest bidder unfortunately I guess, man. And they had to have been the lowest bidder, right? It's like, well, we worked with them before, and I guess they probably turned those Resident Evil films into financial success because they still, they made a whole bunch of them. Yeah, but what a, what a disappointment. I mean, Monster Hunter World, what an exciting live world, and we're just going to 
put tanks in there. what you do when there. you don't actually care that much about your brand. Exactly. That's too bad. It's just the difference between the Pokemon company and Capcom. Like, mm-hmm. Capcom will give their most valuable brand a worldwide famous brand that it's it's in the game of the year running this year yes. to uh, a director who is coming off a run of really bad movies. <laughs> and meanwhile, everybody is talking about Detective Pikachu like, oh, this looks legitimately fun. This looks great. Okay. So uh, some other things on the site. Uh, I checked out Warframe on the Switch. Uh-huh. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't play it on the Switch, Nadia. <laughs> Oh really? That's a that's a thing you don't hear very often. Yeah, it really gave me a headache. Ooh. Yeah. Ouch. Like there's so much text mm. and it's and I I'm a handheld player. It's so right. much text and you have to be online to play it. Oh. That, I mean, if I can't play it on a plane, uh, what's the point? No, exactly. I don't really look to the Switch for my online play by any means. Absolutely not. Uh you reviewed Pokémon Let's Go. We'll talk about that in a minute. And uh also we have an interview with Various f- folks in chart in Final Fantasy fourteen, which we'll be talking about a little later as well, mm-hmm. uh, reflecting on the past five years, and there is a ton of Final Fantasy fourteen news as well, which is uh, very exciting. So, yeah, go check out US Gamer and check out all those wonderful articles over on the site. Uh, oh yeah, and I also made a case for Fallout four, and that that went well on Twitter. Uh, is, are you being sarcastic or are you being? <laughs> I didn't see um, the reaction. <laughs> it's actually like 50-50, which is not surprising. Um, okay, yeah. 50% right. percent of people were like, ah, oh, no, screw Fallout 4. It's approximately as bad as I remember. And about 50% of people were like, no, actually, in fact, uh, I really like Fallout 4, and thanks for going to bat for it. Yeah, um, I think Fallout 4 is very much uh, the Skyrim of Fallout in that people look <laughs> to it and say, oh, my God, this is where it all went downhill. This is where all the casuals came in. The Skyrim of Fallout, you say? Yes. That's bold, Nadia. That's really bold. Well, I'm not saying it's good or bad in, in that regard. I'm just saying that like, that's how people regard it, because a lot of people don't regard Skyrim very well, especially if they're into like really, really into Elder Scrolls, uh, particularly Morrowind. They think Skyrim is like, uh, you know, they, they dumbed it down. And I, I hear a lot of people saying that about Fallout 4 as well. Well, they did dumb it down, but it also has a lot of things that I really like about it, and I talk about that in the article. In making the case for Fallout 4, especially in comparison to Fallout 76, which we'll be talking about in a little bit, but uh, make sure to check us out on all of the social media channels. I'm at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and if you want to drop me a line, send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net, or you know, tweet me, or leave a comment on our show notes over on the site, which we post every week. Okay, let's talk about Pokemon Let's Go Nadia, which came out today as of this recording. It's Pokemon Day. Yay. And you reviewed it, and you gave it a pretty good score. I I didn't see the score. I think it was 4.5, right? No, it was 4 out of 5. 4 out of 5. Okay. Yeah. Let me know what your thoughts are. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um... I think both of us going to the game were a little bit like, not down on it by any means, but very much, oh, you know, this is, you know, baby's first Pokemon. It's going to be fun to play with people who aren't experienced with Pokemon. To be clear, Uh, it still is baby's first Pokemon. Yeah, but it it wasn't like, you know, I I wasn't just breezing through it like it was nothing. But then again, I'm not the world's best Pokemon player. Uh, Oh, give yourself more credit. Well, I did lose to the Elite Four. Oh, my God. Well, Bruno, just turn in your badge right now. Bruno uh, kicked my ass because he used uh, Stealth Rock. 
And oh, I don't think that rocks. was the bane, the bane of everybody's existence in the, the Pokemon bane of world. Everyone's existence, especially since I had a bunch of fire types on me. I'm like, ah, shit, I'm dead. And I was. <laughs> Nadia, you can't carry too many fire types. You got to balance it out a little bit. But they're cool. I, had I know they're cool. I love fire <laughs> types as well. I had a Moltres and they all <laughs> died. Nadia. <laughs> it was very stupid. See what I mean? I'm very much a I want cool Pokemon versus I want a good, a well-balanced team. So what you're saying is that you are always just meant to be a gym leader. Yes, exactly. I, I, I would happily stand there with my, like, 50 fire types and just get my ass kicked by 10-year-olds every day and be like, oh, well, that was fun. Here's your badge. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, I've been saying all along, they need to have, um, they need to have a game where you get to be a gym leader. And you yes. get to pick your favorite type. Uh, I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. Maybe, maybe who knows, Gen 8, maybe there'd be a Pokemon MMO. Oh, man, that'd be amazing. I assume you, which Pokemon did you choose? Uh, I had um, the Pikachu edition. Pikachu. So I'm surprised you picked Pikachu because you've been all about the Eevee. You're about uh, all about that Eevee life. Well, the uh, Pokemon uh, Pikachu edition was the one with Growlithe and Arcanine. So I said, meh. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're just all about that Arcanine. Like, exactly. You don't care. No, it's no, number number 59 is number one in my heart. Oh. Uh, I picked the Eevee version, or that was the one you sent me anyway, and I was a little concerned that, for mm-hmm. example, fighting Brock and his Onyx would be kind of tough with Eevee, but mm-hmm. it's not actually that hard because they gave you abilities that let you deal with it pretty easily, including Double Kick, which is a fighting move. Oh, really? See, I don't... Did I get that? Yes, I did get that, actually, now that you mention it. And I just happened to catch an Oddish on my way to Brock, so I just used that, and Onyx went down real fast. Yeah, I was using a Bellsprout, and Bellsprout just annihilated Onyx, and we were just <laughs> kind of chuckling. I was like, oh, that was relatively easy. Um, in the first... Uh, up to the first gym, I was playing with my partner together, uh-huh. and uh, we were having a good time. Like, initially, it was a little slow... And she was feeling a little bored because there, I mean, it was really trivial, really trivially easy. But once we started building up our Pokedex a little bit and like doing some fights and it was fun to kind of time out the throws so that they matched up at the same time right. to catch a monster, uh, that was when it started to get fun. Yeah, I could see that being um, very fun when you're playing with another person. Although I was still a little bit divided on the whole idea of catching Pokemon, wild Pokemon, by just throwing a ball at them. Uh, on one hand, I feel like, okay, Pokemon is so, is so much a struggle against these wild Pokemon and getting them down to that sliver of life and then, you know, trying to throw a Pokeball at them. But at the same time, I can't I can't say that I don't like how much quicker battles are when you just throw a Pokeball at a monster, get that experience. Uh, it's really handy to send the Pokemon to Professor Oak and get the, the candies that help buff up your, your Pokemon. So oh, that's th- what you do? Oh, man, I should yeah. do that. <laughs> are you are you walking around with a Pokedex full of uh, Pidgeys? I have a lot of Pidgeys. Yeah, you send them, get I, mulch them down to candy. I don't catch every single one, mm-hmm. but I haven't transferred any of them either. Like I've been catching more than I would normally would because it's such an easy process, and I and it gives you XP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so talking about the wild battles, um, you you fought some legendaries, right? Like, wh- how is yes. that different? Um, you actually, it's a little disappointing because you actually just fight them and you get them to zero hit points and then you throw your Pokeball at them. And like Pokemon Go, uh, throwing a Pokeball at a legendary can take, it, it can take some time and they break out of the balls very easy unless you have like a golden raspberry. 
Oh, I see. Interesting. Okay, yeah. so it's not a straight up battle. Uh, no, it is, it is at first, and then once they're down to zero HP, and it switches over to the what you get with the wild Pokemon, where it's like, okay, mm. throw your ball at the Pokemon. So but it's like it, a raid in Pokemon Go. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense, because a raid in Pokemon Go is like, you fight, you like you actually fight it, and then once it gets down to zero HP, you, you yes. catch it. It's like a similar yes. kind of mechanics. Yeah. So, a uh, couple thoughts, and I'm curious to hear what your take is. Um Thought number one is I'm not all that sad to see Mm -hmm. traditional wild battles go away because a traditional wild battle to me has always been kind of very rote. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like, oh yeah, I ran into a monster and probably I'm going to run away. Or like I, I would keep, I would keep uh, 15 super repels or ultra repel max repels with me at all times to keep legendary or to keep Pokemon away from me because I I didn't want to catch them. Right. Uh, I didn't want to battle them. They weren't any good for XP. And the only time I would actually fight them is was if I was EV training and I would be looking for particular EV stats. Right. And that ties into the fact that I'm really, really happy that this game doesn't have random encounters. To me, that like makes the whole game, seeing the monsters uh, jumping around in the grass. It's so cool. Yeah, I am, uh, like I said, I'm kind of divided still on the wild battles, but at the same time, I see exactly where you're coming from, because uh, I think it's, like, exciting to see that Pokemon that first time when you're doing the traditional wild battles, and then, you know, by the by your 50th zoo bat, it really wears off. Uh, so, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, whereas, as you say, you can see now Pokemon in the grass, and yes, and you're absolutely right, number one, it makes the world seem so much livelier, especially when they kind of, like, go out of the grass and start meandering in your path uh and number two is just you don't want to fight this monster you don't have to you can just mind your own business and they'll mind theirs yeah i was just in mount moon i think it was and uh and it's like jesse and james are there which i'll I'll talk about how weird it is to see them in this game in just a little bit but I saw like five billion Zubats flying around in the cave along with Geodudes, and I just had all these flashbacks to step, step, random battle, step, step, <laughs> random battle, step, step, random. There's a reason that Zubats are practically a trope. Yes, they are. They're very much a trope. Um, there's actually one of my favorite cosplays we've ever seen is a guy dressed up as Ash, and he has a sign around his neck that says Repel War Off, and he has like a bunch <laughs> of Zubat dolls stapled to his face. <laughs> I mean, that's apt, right? So It's very, very apt. And but more than that, I playing this game is it's so funny to me that this does so many of the things that I wanted in Pokemon for years. Mm-hmm. Uh for example, being able to dress up my Pokemon. Yes. They're so cute. Well, I, I I really liked your the outfit that you gave your Pikachu, which you named Matameo. Matameo, yes. From uh from Redwall. <laughs> Yes, specifically from the titular Matameo book, uh, which is a sequel to Redwall. It's very good. But uh, yeah, that outfit that I get, you, you talk to everyone because you can get like kind of random people will give you random outfits and it's great. Like I got that outfit from Lavender Town where the there's an old woman who says, well, if you're going to pay respects to the Pokemon, you should dress up. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? That makes sense. So my, my Pikachu looks like the Undertaker. In Fire Emblem Heroes, um, you can put little little accessories on your different characters like... My mage has a little owl doll on top of her head. Aww. And I think um, Ryoma, who is in his Hoshiden summer 
uh, kind of <laughs> outfit is wearing like glasses for some reason. And uh, one of my characters has like bat wings and like another character has bunny ears. And I'm like, ah, that's all I wanted on Pokemon. You know, I don't need to put them in a full blown outfit, but like being able to put accessories on them would be fun. I recognize that's really hard when you have like, God, 800 some monsters, but I, I like being able to dress up my monsters. What do you want? I like the dress up aspect. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun, and I actually appreciate, even though Pokemon Gen 1, in this game in particular, only has the 151 plus the Alolan uh, Ultra Forms, the, every time you pick a Pokemon to follow behind you or to ride on, it's just, it, I'm just really amazed at how much work went to, into making each Pokemon, like, move differently. I think that was that was really cool of Game Freak. Yeah, I tweeted that that screen grab you got of... Uh, Pikachu and the the main trainer against Snorlax, uh, like that. Just that image made me love Pokemon. Let's go. <laughs> Is that the one with the where where there's like Totoro with clinging to the belly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, it's so cute, and I I think the overriding thing is that this game has a sense of style. It's not kind of stayed like previous games, isn't it? really picks up the baton really nicely from Pokemon Sun and Moon. It does, yeah. It's a very clean-looking game. I love how the Pokemon are all scaled according to, you know, how they should be, because you don't realize how big some of these Pokemon are until you see them in Pokemon Let's Go. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I thought that it wasn't going to be that attractive as a game, Mm -hmm. but it turns out that actually, no, like, it... It looks really good, especially when you're playing it handheld. Yeah, it looks very good on handheld and and docked. The one complaint I had about the graphics in my I cite this in my review is I feel like some of the moves that the Pokemon use just feel still very Pokemon Stadium ish. Like my Charizard will use Wing Attack, for example, and uh, just kind of use a move that where he attacks with his tail, and it's like, well, that's not really wing attack, is it? But he'll <laughs> use the tail attack for everything, including, like, Slash, for example. And I was hoping that Gen 8 will have more complex animations. Yeah, uh, no such luck. I mean, I feel like they've always gone for a purposefully stripped-down kind of look with their games, and mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of that is to do with the fact that animating... And giving unique moves to 150 monsters is pretty hard. And even harder if you've got 800. Yeah, I was thinking that. It's like by the time Gen 8 comes around, you're going to have 800 or more monsters going on. I guess I prefer, and who knows if they can keep this up, because again, 800 monsters. I would much rather prefer they keep up the trend of having your Pokemon follow behind you and just act kind of uniquely in every regard and give you those kind of those surprises you have when you try to ride one and you get something crazy like, oh, I'm on its belly or or Kangaskhan, oh, Pikachu's in her pouch. Stuff like that is what really takes uh, priority for me. Yeah, me too, actually. And actually, I'm the kind of person who turns uh, animations off. Oh, really? Yeah, because the animations aren't that great and also... The they take a little bit to accomplish, and so usually I kind of want to burn through the battles as quickly as possible. That's understandable. Although I did laugh my ass off. I, I tweeted it where uh, my, the Moltres I, I encountered was like, "I am the Lord of the Flame. I am the the Great Lord of Fire." And it's like I just used fire. Uh, I just used hydro pump against it, just like, <laughs> <laughs> and it died in one hit. 
I mean, that's the thing with this game, right? It's actually pretty easy. Yeah, if you if you knew if you're not an idiot like me, you take like three fire types and <laughs> and to fight to Bruno. Do I want to yes. do that? Yeah, yeah, that's not a great idea. <laughs> I got a little cocky there. And fire types aren't well. I mean, it's weird because this game isn't exactly Gen Seven. Because it doesn't have like held items and right. it's missing a lot of the key features of the the mainline games, but neither is it Gen One. I mean, like you mentioned, that Pokemon have moves like Stealth Rock. Yeah, that's not Gen One. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a hybrid of the two. But in Gen One, Fire types weren't that strong. In fact, they were pretty weak. Yeah, I have to admit the fire types on my team aren't the strongest. Although, like I said earlier, you do have the candies that you can use to buff up your uh, your your Pokemon stats, which is really handy. So if you're like kind of flagging in defense, okay, here's here's some candy to help you with that. But you can't spam it because the more you use, the more it takes. Yeah, um, I when it comes to the the actual Pokemon. Um, I as see Gen One psychic types were always the strongest, and yes. uh, ghost types were basically useless because they didn't have any moves. But now they have moves. Now they have every move. Yeah, they have like Shadow Ball and stuff like that. So it's not as unbalanced. Gen One was really its own little special thing, and I think we wrote about it on the site during Pokemon Week. Yeah, um, um, they did rebalance. You're right, though. They did rebalance it because they do have Shadow Ball in this one. Uh, Jinx has Lovely Kiss. God knows she she spammed it against me. I think Love. Oh yeah, no, Lovely Kiss. I think was introduced in Gen Three, though. Yeah, I could be wrong. I, maybe I might be compare it, confusing it with Sweet Kiss, which I think uh, caused confusion. This one causes uh, Sweet Kiss causes sleep, so you might be right. Uh, whatever, but. I think I've seen I've seen a lot of hardcore fans complaining that it is just way too simple of a game. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that is an unfair charge. Like for the hardcore, the hardest of the hardcore who have been following this game for X number of years, yeah, it's really simple. But I mean, that's kind of by design, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is definitely a game that they want you to enjoy with another person, in particular young kids who are just starting Pokemon for the first time. Yeah. And so my friend is going to be playing with his three-year-old daughter, and maybe ah. maybe that's a little young to be playing because, I mean, she can't, she can't select the, the battle commands, right? Right. Like, not easily. Like, he would have to point them out and have her pick them. Yeah. Which is fine. But I think the act of throwing the ball together to catch a monster is fun. Yeah, see, I could see a three-year-old having fun with that, even though her ball is probably going to go off into God knows where. At least she'll have the fun of just kind of doing it. I think as a long time, well, as a not (laughs) three-year-old, as someone who is perhaps a lot older than that, uh, and somebody who's been playing Pokemon since it came out, I find the this approach really refreshing um Mm -hmm. i don't need it to be super in-depth uh it's in-depth enough like it's just in-depth enough for me to continue to enjoy it and i guess i just really like the monsters and i really like the world of pokemon and it's just a joy to just walk through the a town and see a slowpoke sitting there and see the the comment, Slowpoke is really good at doing nothing, and yeah. just kind of chuckle to yourself <laughs> and move on. Like, the Pokemon world is fun. 
it's very much fun, and this game really realizes it, and it makes me excited for hopefully what Gen 8 has in store. Um, and also, one thing I should mention, and we should talk about a little bit, is that there is post-game content, and I haven't fought one of the, mo- the Masters yet, but one thing that's really cool that they let you do is they, uh, quote-unquote, expand the world for you, so you get to get on the back of certain flying Pokemon, say Charizard is in my case, and fly around the world practically sle- seamlessly. That's pretty cool. So they're doing what they did in Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, where you could fly around in that game as well. Right. And you could. that's like a really fun, easy way to look for the masters. But I haven't found any that I want to fight yet, because it's like, oh, I don't want to fight the Oddish master. So you're Maybe not Katie just does. fast traveling from town to town anymore. Uh, not in the... Um, not once you beat the game, but when you, uh, so, but what, before you beat the game, you still have to kind of fast travel. Yeah. I think my main goal for this game is actually maybe to catch them all. Yeah. Go for it. Uh, I haven't done that in a long time. I haven't mm-hmm. cared in a long time. Uh, mostly because the rewards have never been that great, except in uh, Black 2 and White 2. If you saw the entire. Unova decks, uh, you could go into a secret garden and get a shiny um, Haxorus. Oh, cool. Which was an awesome reward and still one of my favorites. And that's why I liked Black 2 and White 2 a lot. It had really phenomenal post-game content. Uh, but, so yeah, the last time I caught all, caught them all was in Ruby and Sapphire, like the all 386. I think I talked about on this podcast about sending my cartridge to England once so that I could... Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so yeah, but this time around, like because they're there on the field running around, I I want to go and catch them. You can also transfer them from Pokemon Go. Yes, but I don't think I'm going to. Have you done that? I have, and uh, I warned people about this in my review. Uh, if you transfer a Pokemon from Go to Pokemon Let's Go, uh, number one, it can't be transferred back. Number two, the stats are are just. They're totally reset. The move sets are totally reset. Even your name is like changed back to the default species name. So you get the Pokemon there, yes, but not the one you sent from Go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will. Okay, then I will definitely not be sending stuff over. At least certainly not value, valued Pokemon. No, don't send any valuable ones. Oh, then. So there are going to be people who totally send their monsters over and go, what? I can't send it back? That's crap. It tells you like uh, there's a warning saying you can't you can't uh, you can't send it back and you will have a different monster than you do in Go, but people don't read stuff, so no, they don't. And I'm sure there'll be, be people calling in the support line, be like, "I sent my Pokemon over to Pokemon Let's Go, and how do I send back to Pokemon Go?" Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. What? I want my money back. You can't have your money back. Well, I want it back. We got your money, sucker. I'm sorry for the vaguely southern accent. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was reading a thing about fo- uh, doing call centers, and apparently, uh, the worst people uh, to get a the worst region to get a call from isn't the South, but actually the Midwest, which is my home region. Alas, oh cat. Yeah, I guess we're terrible. It's the cold. It gets to you. I know. Like we we get real mad. Uh, what, I, I, I'm pretty sure that we're just all so passive-aggressive all the time that when we get on the phone, this is just a chance to really let loose on a poor call center person. It must be, yeah. I think Midwesterners and Canadians are the masters of passive-aggressiveness. Yes, we are. So, final thoughts on Pokemon Let's Go. 
Uh, I very much enjoyed it, and I think I'm going to pick it probably for one of my games of the year because I just had a, a had a really fun time with it. I mean, it didn't blow my socks off, but it just gave me like you know a consistently fun time. So I would definitely recommend it as a Pokemon fan. If you are, as Cat was saying, a hard hardcore Pokemon fan who's maybe not happy with it being a little simplified, eh, you might not like it as much. Although if you have uh, a partner or a, a kid who wants to play with you, yeah, absolutely, 100% recommend it. Yeah, I think that Pokemon has actually needed this for a little while now. Of, It's such a big, complicated game. And yeah, I've, okay, the story of the mainline games are always fairly simple and fairly easy to engage with. But maybe maybe they needed a spinoff or a remake of some sort to kind of refocus it a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. put more emphasis on just the sheer pleasure of exploring the world versus, I don't know, engaging with the extremely crunchy uh, mechanics. I'm not saying mm-hmm. those extremely crunchy mechanics should go away. That's what Gen 8 is for. Exactly. But I like having this kind of, uh, this. it's not a chaser, but, you know, it's, a, it's something to something different. A palate cleanser. Yeah, there we go. It's, it's definitely a palate cleanser. A little bit of an appetizer for Gen 8, as it were. And plus, it's really cute, Nadia. It's so <laughs> cute. It is relentless. As I described it as relentlessly cute. It is ridiculous. Like, the first time you see Evie, just like... Uh, first of all, the noise that Evie makes is adorable. Oh, yeah. The oi little... Oi! Oi! Little squeak. And when it jumps out of the TV... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, all the close-ups, the way that it'll like run up to things in the environment. Oh, God, I just want to give it. And of course, you can dress them up. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It is ridiculously yeah. cute. And actually, one of the cutest things I've ever seen in my life was when I beat the Elite Four and I went back home, Pikachu runs off to the flower garden and picks me a bouquet of flowers. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, I will be playing through to the conclusion and probably I will be transferring some of the monsters. I, you can transfer monsters from Pokemon Let's Go to Pokemon Go, right? Uh, from Let's Go to Go? I'm not sure, actually. I don't know if you I tried only, that. It's only one way from Go to I Let's I think it go. might only be one way. Oh, that's a bummer if that's the case. Yeah, I'd have to look into that a little bit more. Because it's like, I mean, I was really hoping to get Kangaskhan. <laughs> I got my Kangaskhan. I've only seen one, and I caught her. I got a Kangaskhan in Pokemon Go... But my partner has not. I don't think I have one. No, no, I do have one in Go. So anyway, uh, yeah, Pokemon Let's Go. It is available now on Nintendo Switch. Go check out Nadia's full review. And now let's talk about the other somewhat more controversial game that came out this week. All right, I'm here with Mike Williams, our reviews editor. Mike, it is a good day for you. Blue Mage just got announced in Final Fantasy XIV. Yes, we got Blue Mage as a new job that's coming in patch 4.5, which is the next patch, which will probably be in like January. And we got the announcement that everyone expected, which is the next expansion for Final Fantasy XIV, which is Shadowbringers. Okay, just in a nutshell, really quickly, why is everybody so excited about Blue Mages? Because people seem real excited. Uh, in a nutshell, really, because uh, for the most part, Final Fantasy XIV is all about bringing over your favorite Final Fantasy jobs slash classes 
uh, into the MMO, and Blue Mage is just another one of those that has been asked for from previous games like uh, Final Fantasy V or some of the other games that have also featured the Blue Mage. Yeah. I mean, I've never used Blue Mages in traditional Final Fantasy games, but I'm actually surprised that it hasn't been in Final Fantasy fourteen until this point. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, one of those uh, jobs that's been uh, waiting, although like Dark Knight, which is a, a pretty big class from Final Fantasy 2 and Final Fantasy, is it 4 was the Japanese? You know, Dark Knight was Cecil's original class, and, and that didn't come until Heavensward, which was two years after A Realm Reborn launched. So uh, they always like to give themselves room to add more... Uh, new and interesting classes to the game, and and Blue Mage is coming in a patch, which is new for the game. Normally, we only get new jobs uh, when an expansion comes around. So we got Dark Knight, uh, Machinist, and Astrolohian in Heaven's Word, and then we got Red Mage and Samurai for Stormblood. So we get Blue Mage now, and then We'll probably get another two or three jobs for Shadowbringers. We don't know what those will be yet because they did not feature into the Shadowbringers trailer, but there's still other Final Fantasy jobs out there for them to take from. And you also interviewed Yoshida and company uh, in your Final Fantasy fourteen five five-year retrospective, if you want to talk about that real quick. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a good interview, being able to interview a, a wide range of people uh, looking back on the fifth year anniversary. And, it, and it's the fifth anniversary of A Realm Reborn, not the fifth anniversary of the original launch of Final Fantasy fourteen. So, uh, they, Yeah, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a version that matters. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So it, it's the, it, it, it just forgets that extra, like, two or three years... Uh, that the original 14 was out there, and that was the, A Realm Reborn was the real start of Final Fantasy 14. But it was, uh, great to put some questions to people who were able to revive and improve on an MMO, which is very rare, because most MMOs after a failed launch like that just die. I think Final Fantasy got uh, even a little more string, because, um... Uh, games like Elder Scrolls, which uh, enjoyed a little bit of a similar turnaround. It, it wasn't as dire as Final Fantasy uh, 14 when it launched. But I think that Final Fantasy fans in particular really want <laughs> their, the game to work. And we'll give it another chance if it turns out to be bad. Whereas if Final Fantasy 14 had just been generic quest of the light of a bunch of warriors part two... I think that it would have died and stayed dead and even a complete revival would not have been enough to bring it back. Yeah, I think there's something to that and that Square Enix itself also couldn't uh, allow what was marketed as a mainline entry into that. Like, it's not necessarily 11 and 14 RMMOs, but they're marketed as part of the mainline Final Fantasy series. And I don't think Square Enix could let its brand sort of falter like that no i don't think so i think that's why they were and plus i think they had promised their investors that this new mmo is going to make them x amount of money and so they had a lot of reason 
to go and try and make this work however they possibly could because they were leaving a lot of money on the table if they didn't. Yeah, and now it's their moneymaker to the point that uh, at the keynote, uh, Square Enix CEO and President Yosuke Matsuda came out on stage in a costume. Like, that's their top executive uh, that they just brought out on stage because obviously 14 is an important game for them bringing in consistent revenue year for year. And I believe they're up to 5 million uh, subscribers. So it's, it's kind of a 5 million active players, I believe. That's really good. Um, isn't that uh, roughly the same as WoW? I believe it is roughly the same as WoW. It may actually be 4 million, but still, it from a, a I mean, failed a lot of games launch... never even cracked like a million, so... Yeah, from a failed launch, it is going up, and they announced as the latter part of this uh, keynote that they're uh, looking to expand even further on that with uh, some new features, and they're going to be adding more data centers and servers and sort of rejiggering things around in the hopes that more players will continue on. Well, it's because Final Fantasy... I mean, Final Fantasy fourteen is good. A lot of people see it as one of the best RPGs around. Uh, it's good. It is definitely running into a problem uh, in that you have to sort of play from the beginning, and that is a lot of content. But I mean, yeah, it's, it, you have to do that in Star Trek Online as well. Oh, do you? Yeah. They, they don't have... Uh, uh, like uh, fourteen has a a they added uh, story skip potions, but it's just not really the same. Yeah, I mean, I if I'm playing through a game like Final Fantasy fourteen anyway, like I don't know that I would want to be in a huge hurry to get through all of the solo content. I mean, yeah, maybe if I want to play along with my friends, but I mean that's the game, right? It is the game. It is the game. And, and Matt is, uh, Matt, our news editor is currently playing through it. And he is also a, a big fan of it, even though I think he's still in the middle of Heaven's Word, which was expansion number one. Uh, I, I, maybe I'll try and play it, but every time I get into, try and get into it, I get a little bored. Uh, I, I think part of that is, uh, some people just aren't necessarily built for MMOs. Like they're people have different types of games they enjoy and different types of mechanics and content that they're willing to explore. And an MMO is not for everyone. And I don't think that's going to change for certain people. So I like I get the feeling that for you an MMO like Elder Scrolls, WoW, and Final Fantasy fourteen all do it very well, but I don't think that will fix sort of your problem with an MMO. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, speaking of uh, MMO or MMOs and maybe MMOs, MMOs that don't do it super well, uh, you're reviewing Fallout 76, a game that came out as of this re- recording uh, earlier this week. Uh, what are your thoughts so far on it? Are you enjoying it? I have moments of enjoying it. It's... it's hmm. I know what you mean when you say I have moments, right? I mean, it's like there are times when I say I was talking to our guides editor, Tom, uh, earlier today, and I was like, yeah, no, like when I'm just walking down uh, the road and I'm listening to old timey music uh, because I have a real weakness for kind of 1920s bluegrass or, you know, ragtime music or whatever. Um, yeah, like 
I could do that all day long. But uh, yeah, those are just isolated moments. Yeah, and one thing I, I do have to call out that I'm going to probably in my next update for our review in progress is that the map is really nice. Like mm. the 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 environment design, the look of it. I I really have to give kudos to Bethesda's uh, environmental and art design team. It looks good. And, and as I get to new areas and new cities and new towns, like they each have a good feel to them. Did you see that the, uh, I think it was the governor of West Virginia, uh, actually had a proclamation of reclamation day. I did. I did. Cause West Virginia is like looking real, real, real towards this because otherwise there's, there's no tourist thing really in West Virginia. Uh, there's a couple of, uh, old, uh, things like, uh, Harper's Ferry and stuff like that, but nothing particularly noteworthy, I'd say. I think it's pretty funny that they flew a whole like mess of games journalists out to uh, out to West Virginia, and they had to charter a flight to get him down there. Yeah, yeah, I had to put Nadia and them on one of them puddle jumpers to get them to West Virginia, where uh, they had their the preview event for Fallout seventy six before it launched. I, I, honestly, I think my my problem with Fallout seventy six is it's what I like about Fallout is not there uh, in terms of narrative because of the way they put it together. And then what I like in terms of survival games is fine-ish, but it doesn't go either as far as some other survival games or into some new and interesting directions. I think it's kind of a waste of time. I mean, I just, I don't know why this game exists, really. Because it doesn't do anything especially well. So I'm playing Fallout 76, and yeah, it's gorgeous, I, I guess. Um, but it doesn't do single player well, because uh, I think somebody was joking about, basically, the the story is a Fallout presented by Audible. You're just listening to audio logs the entire time. Yeah, uh, audio logs or uh, scraps of notes or terminal entries, like little diaries and terminals you find here and there. I, f- I forget who, it- I think it was Tom, maybe, where he was like going, yeah, like the thing with Fallout 76 is it's a survival game. Or maybe this was you. It's a survival game, but I don't necessarily want to survive. Like there aren't, every time I find somebody they're another survivor in the world. It's it's a robot, or they're dead. That's grim. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much how it is. You you basically the the thrust of the story is you're chasing the overseer of Vault seventy six that all of the players ostensibly uh, came from, and then otherwise you are finding out what happened to all these people who are already dead. So every time you find someone, either they died recently or they died a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I wrote a thing uh, that I've already mentioned, uh, the case for Fallout 4. And in the course of writing that, it made me kind of realize like how much I enjoy the moment-to-moment storytelling of a Fallout game. Where in Fallout 4, it's almost like an anthology of short stories. At least that's how it is in my mind. Where I go into these little, these little shorts, uh, these little quests, and each one of them is different. Each one uh, has a tidy little arc. 
Sometimes I make an interesting decision in them. I can influence them in various ways. And then it's all set. It's almost like the Twilight Zone or something. And that's not really in Fallout 76. None of that is in Fallout 76. And that's like the essence of Fallout. They try to do it. Like, they try to seed interesting stories. But part of storytelling is presentation. Like, some of these stories, you're just getting... An audio log that's, I mean, the voice acting isn't always amazing. Or you're getting uh, diary entries that are, like, have decent writing, but they're just text on a screen. I, it's, and, and yeah, text on a screen can be fine. They're good twine things I, I read all the time. So books are just text on a screen or text on a page. But there's a different flow to reading that than there is clicking through a terminal on different diary entries. It just doesn't it it, it doesn't really work. Yeah, I feel a little bad because in a way, because I feel like there are definitely developers who spent hours and days writing all of this stuff and or recording, like painstakingly recording these audio logs, and I'm just skipping through them as fast as I can. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not skipping through it as fast as possible, but like I take the time to read it to sort of give it a chance, but it's still not... Uh, mm. And then the combat isn't very good either. Uh, yeah, the combat has always been probably Modern Fallout's biggest problem. And then the thing that Modern Fallout does the best, which is uh, VATS, doesn't work in Fallout 76 because since it's an online game, it has to be in real time. It's a waste of time to use VATS almost. I mean, I kind of do it, but it feels awkward. I use it for two two reasons. One, to figure out where I'm being attacked from, because it's also combat-wise visually hard to tell where you're being attacked from. And two, I use it for up-close shooting, because for some reason, even when you're at point-blank range and you shoot something, it doesn't always quite work. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Uh, sometimes I will use vats on like fast-moving enemies, especially like little ones. Uh, rad roaches, rad roaches. I use yes. vats on all and the more time. And rats too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for some reason, I, I I don't understand why. I like the sh first-person shooting is just first-person shooting, but for some reason, I have a real trouble with that than I would in some other games. Yeah, I I mean one of the first comments that i made after playing the beta was i don't understand they made a game about the worst elements of fallout and cutting out all the best elements that to me is the fundamental problem of fallout 76 yeah and that's that's pretty much it it, it is what's left after fallout when you cut out the things that fallout does really well and uh, a lot of people seem to be having fun with it and more power to them, but uh, this is honestly... Right now, it's a game that I would probably stopped playing if it wasn't named Fallout. I mean, I'm playing it because, I mean, it's for work, right? But I'd rather be playing RDR 2 right now, but with Fallout, 70, with, Fallout, with Fallout 76, I'm exploring a... Yeah. Like the last the last session that I played, 
I barely had any bullets and I'm exploring a town and it's just fighting tons of Scorched who aren't particularly interesting enemies. They're like zombies, I guess. Um, and kind of admiring the scenery, uh, feeling like I can't craft anything yet because I don't have enough materials, just kind of following the breadcrumb trails and maybe getting progressively a little more bored every time I play. And it's touted as like a, a multiplayer game, but it's not even a good multiplayer game because it's missing so much of what you would expect from a good multiplayer game, like guilds. What a lot of people don't realize is, is we probably play a lot more games than we actually write about on the site, just because logistically you can only spend so much time on stuff. And when I say, like, if this wasn't Fallout, uh, we probably... Like, there are a number of survival games that come out every year. And take Fallout's name out of this, and it's the type of game that I would have taken a review key from someone, started playing it, probably realized I wouldn't have a charitable view on it, and then just stopped playing it and not written anything, because I... Uh, right. Not and because... It, it doesn't demand a take... Because, like, it, a hypothetical generic version of this, um, Survival Game 76, uh, wouldn't be worth covering and, unless you wanted to recommend it. Like, there's mm. no point in trashing, like, this hypothetical Survival Game 76, which isn't particularly good and not particularly notable. Correct. So, like, it, like the reason we're going through this is because it's Fallout. And... To sort of miss what Fallout is seems like I mean I I you you like Fallout modern Fallout I'm more of a fan of classic old school Fallout like Fallout one and two although modern Fallout can work for me because I did sort of like three and I did like New Vegas but this is like even a step beyond what was missing out out of fallout for me so it's it's and i feel bad because i i don't like not liking games a lot of people don't tend to get that about like like i want to like a game but this is just it's there are moments where i'm like okay i'm just crafting or i'm dungeon diving and it's fun but then things get in the way like say i'm dungeon diving and then bam i hit the weight limit and now i'm over encumbered and Every, you know, 20 seconds, I move super slow. Yeah, well, I think the problem with this game is that it doesn't really know what it wants to be. Because I think on the face of it, a Fallout game that you play with your friends isn't a terrible idea. Uh, I think Star Wars The Old Republic has been sh has shown that you can actually do it. Where, like, you are playing a story and you're making decisions and you're playing alongside your friends. And... Like, it's a co-op experience, right? Like, I could imagine Fallout 4, but it's a co-op game. Uh, but it doesn't really do that. Um, and then I'm like, okay, well, if you're not going to do that, then at least make it a heavily cooperative game with territorial control, and I'm building settlements, like giant settlements. Uh, but it's not doing that because PvP is there, but not really a thing. And then, like, the PvE isn't very satisfying. So what the heck is this? Yeah, I don't know. And and, and what I keep coming back to, and I, and I didn't particularly, like, think this, this game was the, the cat's meow. I, I reviewed it for the site. It was Ark Survival 
evolved, which I, I it isn't particularly, I, I don't think, a great game. I gave it a 2.5 out of 5 uh, because it runs really badly, but at least there's a lot of interesting ambition to it. Like, I can build super huge settlements. I can tame and ride and raise dinosaurs. Uh, there's the crafting tree, like, goes on into infinity. Like, I had problems with that game. Again, I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. But that's still better than what I have played of Fallout 76. And has more things to cater to an online-only game than I think Fallout 76 currently has. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing Fallout 4, I really enjoyed building the settlements. And I think one of the reasons I really enjoyed building the settlements was... I did a lot of role-playing. Like, I enjoy role-playing. And I was actually talking about this with sports games yesterday. Like, the, the number one frustrating thing for me with sports games, a lot of sports games these days, is that they want to be Street Fighter, and I just want to play a role-playing game. A role-playing game with basketballs. Okay? Uh, but in Fallout 4, I had ample opportunity to role-play because I could build up my settlement and I could recruit settlers and I could put them in outfits and, like, it was cool. Like, I had a, a settlement that was giving me credits. I had another settlement where I was keeping all of my people. I would decorate it and it was part of the world and I would go on to the rest of the world and I'd be saving other settlements. Um, if I wanted to, I could become a raider and destroy settlements. Like, it was whatever identity I wanted to create for myself in Fallout 4 which was something that I found really compelling. And that is completely absent from Fallout 76. The, as far as I can tell, the settlements are strictly utilitarian. Am I missing something? Like, I feel like all I really need is a campsite, is the campfire, like some workbenches, and I'm good. Uh, pretty much. I mean, I've started to uh, build a little bit more, like add it onto my shack, build a second level to it. Uh, there's also farming and stuff that you can use to okay. create stuff for, for more materials. But the sort of, I, I still think the building system is a little obtuse. And some things about the new additions that they've made kind of aren't explained all that well. I've sort of figured it out. But in the game itself, like if I hadn't gone and hunted for it, it wouldn't have made any sense like things like making a blueprint of your your settlement because the idea with the camp is that you can take it from one spot and move it to another but if you don't save the thing as a blueprint like the whole thing then what it does is it stores each bit of foundation by itself which is really annoying so like the first time i moved my camp i didn't know about the blueprint thing and when I built the camp, then what I had were a bunch of different components of the house that I had built before that I had to put back together into the house that I had. So it, it just it feels really clunky even there. Yeah, I mean, it's just a clunky game in general. And I think this game really wants to be Destiny, but it can't because it's Fallout. <laughs> and they maybe hewed a little too closely to the Fallout tradition. And that's why the shooting feels so awkward. Like so many of the mechanics feel so clunky because they're using the, you know, the traditional Fallout engine and they don't want to alienate their fans too much, but it ends up being just like a weird compromise of a game. Um, 
I will say that one thing that I do think is fairly cool is um, fans of it, players have been setting off nukes and like unleashing giant monsters. That's kind of neat. Uh, yeah, no, uh, some of the high level stuff. I mean, we're, we're, or what, what are you, three, four days in? And players have already defeated it, which, as far as we know, the highest level thing, the Scorch Beast Queen, by setting off a nuke in the highest level fissure, like the way that you bring up raid bosses in Fallout 76 is you team up, get a nuke, and then you set that nuke off in different areas. And those nukes sort of spawn the high-level bosses. So apparently players have already spawned the highest-level thing and defeated it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with Fallout 76, though, is, like, the endgame content seems fairly slight at the moment. And that always feels like a little bit of a kiss of death uh, for for a large-scale MMO like this. Like, it really needs a lot of repeatable content. Yeah, yeah. And they only have one map, so they have to add all of that content onto this map, at least for the foreseeable future until another further expansion adds a different map, which is yeah. going to be a while because again, I, I, I think that the art and environment design team did a good job for the most part. I think like, they put a lot of effort into making the environment itself really nice. Yeah, yeah, they they really did, and there's not always something interesting to find around the corner, but there's a definite eye for the design of towns and cities and making them feel unique, and everyone has its own fingerprint, so to speak. So what I'm going to say about Fallout 76 is I almost guarantee that there will be a at least a kind of a cult community that forms around this game uh, who are doing different things. Um, there are already some good stories out there. Like the verge wrote a story about people who are playing as NPCs, like dispensing help and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I, and I think if you can play this and you love it, I think you will love it. I think this will be one of those games that, that people will really love. I just, I think a lot of people that will love it for its survival aspects are people that may not have played, say, Rust or Ark or another survival game that does the survival side better. And that's fine. That's Fun fact, survival games are boring. <laughs> <laughs> survival um, games are just collect-a-thons with, in which you're managing a bunch of meters. It, they're not especially interesting like or especially deep meters and crafting and that that's yeah. that's another thing that because fallout 76 is persistent and generally most survival games aren't there you join a server and then you create a character and you take that uh all the way to whatever the the zenith of that game is and then usually you start again on by the way i'm server. being i'm being overly reductive um, oh no no it's fine I've seen people play Don't Starve and really enjoy it. And I understand that there's like a really strong um, element of uh, like difficulty to it. Like, uh, but so much of it is just being as efficient as possible and you're gathering and building and having a plan when it comes to building. And there's a Zen-like element to it that I actually find pretty boring <laughs> because it's like so many repetitive tasks. I hate collecting things anyway in games, and this is just a personal preference. So, 
Yeah, I'm no, kind I, of I totally allergic to just being like, collect all the pieces. Well, I don't want to collect the pieces. I'd rather go do an interesting quest and collect pieces along the way and then be able to craft. Yeah, no, and, and, and I, I totally get you. Like, I, I the part of the reason I think that I enjoy uh, open world games as much as I do is because I enjoy uh, that sort of zen-like part that you mention about survival games. Like, I'm, I'm actively waiting for Starbound and Terraria to come to Nintendo Switch so I can do that, like, mindless diving and mining and crafting and building, like, on the go. Yeah, that's uh, why I never got into Stardew Valley. Because on the one hand, I really, I mean, okay, so I did play like a lot of Stardew Valley when it first came out and I actually really enjoyed it. But there was a part of me that was always nagging and going, it's just repetitive tasks. It's just repetitive tasks into infinity. Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and like I said, I, I can, I can get that. And it, it's very Zen-like for me, but then like on the flip side, like um, the thing I have a problem with is something that you and Nadia, which is uh, random battles and grinding for levels, mm-hmm. tends to bother me. Uh, that's the thing I'm, I'm like, ah, ah. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of grinding either, actually. I, yeah. I find that repetitive and boring. Uh, I, I like a game that's much tighter and allows me to, or gives me challenges that I can't just overcome with being leveled up and stronger. How's that? And my people will be like, well, why are you playing an RPG, though? Because the beauty of an RPG is not just in being a high enough level to overcome the challenge. It's building up your character and building up your party and being able to make meaningful decisions in a story. It's not just being a high enough level to be able to brute force a challenge. If I if, if I can be high enough level to brute force a challenge, then it's not that interesting. But Yeah, yeah. And, and if what Fallout 76 does better... Uh, than some of those other survival games is it tries to provide context for what you are doing. But the problem is, is that context falls short of what a fallout game is. So it, it, it's Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. I'd say, I, I think that if it weren't a fallout game, I think people would be more forgiving of the audio log thing and people would be like, Oh wow, this is a really spooky game. But because people have certain expectations of what a fallout game is, they're not really willing to accept it on those terms. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So looking ahead, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, with a game like Fallout 76, I think the key is how much support is this game going to be? If Bethesda is willing to treat this as an actual service game and continue to put out a good deal of content and continue to build up on it and continue to cater to the people who really do love it, I think that at a certain point it could eventually maybe be a good game. But they have to pick a direction and they have to go in that direction because right now it does not feel like it's going in any particular direction. I think that uh, eventually, I I think Bethesda will stick to it and I think eventually it will be uh, a pretty good survival game. Uh, What is more interesting to me is, so this is sort of mentally for me an outcropping of some of the ideas that they started in Fallout 4 including the base building and the survival mode. So my question is, how much of this, what Fallout 76 is, is going to end up finding its way back towards uh, the next Fallout or the next Elder Scrolls game? Well, it's going to be the uh, the star the star game. Star Citizen. Oh, right. Star star, Citizen. You know what I mean. Starlight. Stargate. <laughs> Starbound. Whatever the game is. 
It's Starlight. Yeah, Starlight. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm actually really excited for that. And please, God, let it be more Fallout than Fallout 76. Yeah. So, so it, it'll be interesting because I, I, if if I had to guess, Bethesda is going to try to put some sort of online hooks into Starlight. Um, no. Which is fine. No, I, don't do that. <laughs> it's okay. You sold a bajillion copies of Fallout 4 without multiplayer hooks. Not every game needs to be a friggin' service. I was playing, I was ranting about this yesterday. Like, sports games are games of services, and it's ruined them. It has removed, it, it puts this extreme uh, focus on catering to your fan, your player base, and your, especially your hardcore player base, and it takes away the opportunity to have meaningful solo experiences and i just feel like if this is the direction they're going if they're going to put multiplayer uh stuff in these games okay i would give it the benefit of the doubt like if they were willing to combine a meaningful solo experience with co-op but if they're but i would rather they just made a single player game i really would what what I find interesting is all of these online for for monetary purposes, all of these online modes are coming into games. But the games that tend to uh, win awards, what I call the prestige games, tend to be single player only. That's uh, because they're not compromised by trying to make it work on a server. Yeah, so like God of War or Spider Man are just like. Games that are single player and they bring a certain amount of prestige to Sony that they can then use potentially on an online enabled game, but those games don't have to be. And I think companies need to strike the balance. Like Ubisoft has Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is a single player game. At the same time, they also have other games that are games as a service like Rainbow Six or For Honor that work as service games. And I think you need to, as a major publisher, jump back and forth between the two. Yeah, I, I think that's something that EA just doesn't get right now is they try to shoehorn in a like a multiplayer something into every one of their games, even if it doesn't warrant it. And I have no doubt that that like, hurt Mass Effect Andromeda, for example, because they had to put in a multiplayer live service element. It ended up killing uh, Amy Hennig's game because they're like, well, we need something that's equivalent of like Ultimate Team. Oh, what's going on? Like, and they just can't let it be. It has to be a service of some of some sort. That's it's just a bummer. Yeah, and if they just let it be and made like a good single player, like a good single player Star Wars game, would have possibly blunted some of the backlash to their handling of Star Wars altogether. Well, I mean, their handling of Star Wars altogether was just a disaster. Like, it's a, it's a disaster of the generation. Like, I yeah. cannot, I cannot, like, imagine, nothing is worse than the way that EA has handled Star Wars. It's just, holy moly, they really screwed that up. But I, I think a lot of game developers and executives would counter that game development is extremely expensive now, and... Like investors and uh, investors demand that you have some kind of ongoing revenue stream to be able to offset that. And I mean, I guess that I guess so. But a really healthy single player game. I mean, you were talking about prestige, like it that you can continue to be able to sell that at a high price potentially and get you know a, a solid number of lifetime sales if you release 
the right amount of DLC. And if you establish a franchise, a very popular franchise, eventually you can do very well for yourself. Um, there's going to be a Spider-Man 2, and I bet it's going to sell even better than Spider-Man 1 because people friggin' love Spider-Man. It's the same for God of War. Yeah, and and I I I will acknowledge that yes, uh, being first or second party changes sort of the financial calculus there. But, but this does not first party, and Fallout Four was one of the biggest games of the generation. Just from like from a pure stamp traffic standpoint, it wasn't until this year that we topped the traffic that we got from Fallout Four in 2015. Yeah, and 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 you can survive. Like if you are putting out four games. You can survive one of them being just a, a, as I call it, a prestige game. Yeah. But Fallout 76 is definitely not a prestige game. Oh, no. And I think that, I mean, and I think it can succeed as a multiplayer game, but Bethesda needs to figure out what it wants to be. But anyway, uh, you should go check out Mike's reviews so far, and you should go check out all of our Fallout 76 coverage. Come what may, we're going to continue to cover it. But I think it's fair to say that. It's been fairly disappointing. Uh, any any last thoughts, Mike? Uh, maybe uh, once I reach uh, max level, everything will change. I don't know. All right, we're back with Nadia, and as always, we're going to be doing our mailbag for the week. This this first one is not a, a traditional letter. It's actually a tweet that was sent to the both of us. It's from Bob Priestley. I'm just finished RDR2 and really enjoyed the feeling of being in a living world with all the random encounters and short tales. In light of its last week's podcast, are there any RPGs on PS4 that try to replicate that sense? Thank, thanks in advance. Um, Nadia... I was thinking about that. This brings me back to the question that somebody else was asking mm-hmm. is RDR2 an RPG? Uh, I have not played nearly as much RDR2 as you have, but it's funny when you should say that because we, okay, when, uh, before the game came out, we heard some of our colleagues complaining about the slow, ponderous introduction. And I had no problem with the introduction because it reminded me of an RPG that, that gradual introduction of the environment, the people. I, I enjoyed that very much. But as for the systems, um, you would probably be able to comment more of the, on that than I would. Yeah, I mean, the systems are very sealed off, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. They want you to feel like you are, you know, a cowboy. But mm-hmm. the way that the interactions happen is, uh, you know, button inputs, uh, like through button yeah. inputs, uh, pressing X a lot until you finish cooking your sausage or uh, twisting the little knob while you're robbing a bank so that you can try, like... Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Like yeah, the, yeah. The very granular little interactions that have you interacting with the world. Whereas a lot of RPGs, um, the interactions are in being able to make really in-depth, meaningful choices in the conversations uh, that you mm-hmm. have with people um, or being able to customize and modify the character and not just their appearance, right. but 
like getting into their traits and their skills and their abilities and that kind of thing. And in that respect, I don't, I don't really think RDR2 fills the bill. It's a great yeah. game. I, it's a really immersive, wonderful game. It, it truly is. Um, but so in terms of RPGs on PS4 that replicate the sense of living in a living world um, mm-hmm. with the random encounters and short stories and everything, I mean... The closest I can think of is maybe Fallout. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about that is, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm blanking a little bit. I feel like I want to say Dragon Quest Eleven, but I don't know if that's quite what you're looking for. I don't really think so. No, because it, it, it feels, it does feel alive in many ways, not in the same way that RDR two. Because like does, in RDR two, you'll be riding on horseback down the road, and suddenly you'll hear somebody, Mister. Mister, can you please help me out? <laughs> and you'll be like, what? And you'll like go over and I don't know, like they rob you or like or they, they need a ride deer. into town or like they've caught their left foot in a bear trap or Ow. sometimes like wagons will just roll up into the road and suddenly you're in a, a running gun battle. Um, like there's all of these little vignettes happen like really quickly in real uh-huh. time. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like the closest I can think of in terms of these kind of like short stories is something like, I don't know, Fallout 4. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially on the, P- the PS4. Cause I'm thinking, you know, just that sort of thing reminds me a little bit of Zelda Breath of the Wild. But of course that's, sh- that's on Switch. I mean, like Persona 5, I mean, you're on a day-to-day basis. You're meeting people. But it's not as random. It's very bespoke. Like, certain things right. are available each day. It's very structured. Yes, extremely structured. Like, Japanese... It's very Japanese. Japanese RPGs are extremely structured in a way that RDR2 is not. Exactly. And a game like Divinity Original Sin 2, for example, which just came out <laughs> earlier this year, is a kind of game where it's, like, more of a dungeon crawler, right? Mm-hmm. So, those kinds of stories that just kind of come out of nowhere the the sense that you're living in a real world that that's fallout yeah and that's funny that this topic even comes up because even though rdr2 is funny because it's a game that is imperfect in many many ways but people love it and i think that's why because there's very little like it on the market absolutely not and i wrote about that in my case for fallout 4 article uh, Drachmalia says, glad to hear a Fire Emblem retrospective. I was really into those GBA games, but never really got into the DS later entries. I'm not really sure, but that sprite work was so charming once they went full anime. I think it lost some of that. Yeah, I totally <laughs> agree, actually. Yeah. And somebody said that, uh, somebody asked what our opinion of Sacred Stones was, and my basic opinion is it's a little easy. Sacred Stone. that was, um... That's the one with that the second from. one? That's the second okay, one yeah. to come out in GBA. Yeah, I actually have it on the, on the 3DS because I was an ambassador. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so annoyed that I didn't cash in on the Ambassador when I had a chance. Oh, you didn't, huh? I didn't get a 3DS in time. Oh, I did. Da-da-da. Now you have those games forever. Because they transfer They transfer from console to console, right? Yes. I can't believe they... We, at the time, we assumed that they would just come out, like they would eventually be released, but they never were. Nope, they never were. Apparently, it was really hard to emulate the Game Boy Advance on the, on the 3DS. It's a bummer. We were talking yeah. earlier today about like, like having a Game Boy Classic, and it, I think I mentioned this. Like, I got a Game Boy in the mail, and yeah, it's great. It, it made me realize that there actually aren't that many Game Boy games left that I I would want to play. 
No, it's it's uh, it's one of those consoles where the games have been bested by future generations like over and over again. There are like three Tetris, Link's Awakening, Metroid Two, uh, and yeah, it's almost it. Donkey Kong ninety four. Donkey Kong ninety four is very good, but even Link's Awakening DX uh, has like a lot of improvements that I I like. Like, the extra dungeons and the photo mode's a lot of fun as well. I'd much rather have a GBA Classic Mini, like, even over an N64, because... Oh, absolutely. A GBA Classic Mini would get, like, Metroid Fusion and Metroid Zero Mission and Advance Wars, both of the Fire Emblem games. I mean, it's actually a surprisingly deep library. Yeah, the Game Boy Advance library is definitely one of Nintendo's best, and I think they always regret it a little bit that they brought up the DS a little early, yeah, I agree. Because the Game Boy Advance it was had just kind of hit its stride. It really had, but I mean, also it was kind of littered with ports and oh yeah, a whole mess of licensed games. But yeah, the GBA uh, really was hitting its stride, but the DS was quote unquote going to be the third pillar, and then it was a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> As is what happens. Da, 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 da. Well, that's so they could go back to the GBA brand if the DS was a flop. Right, which it wasn't. It was tremendously sure huge. It wasn't. It was one of the best-selling consoles of all time. Yep. Gamer Law says, The map design in Fire Emblem Conquest is among the best in the series. It's too bad that many people avoided the game because they were told it was the most difficult. Even at 15 years ago, old Fire Emblem's Blazing Blade stands out for all the reasons discussed in the episode. The sprite-based graphics were among the best, and I strongly encourage Nadia to go back and give Hector Hard Mode a try. Still holding oh out hope for Binding Blade and Genealogy of the Holy War remakes under the Echoes rubric of titles. That would be amazing. I I would like that. I think Genealogy of the Holy War is going to be the next one. I hope so. I really do hope they haven't abandoned that whole uh, format they had going on with the remakes. Yeah. um, I was kind of harsh on Fire Emblem Echoes in my, my review. And to an extent, I still stand by that original comment. But... Like, looking back on it, I really liked how kind of hardcore it was and how faithful it was to the original games. So, yeah, maybe I was a smidge hard on it in my review. But um, And they also mentioned, as for Final Fantasy XV, I fall into the Katie McCarthy camp and thus will not be mourning its abrupt end. A fitting epitaph <laughs> might read as follows. Here rests Final Fantasy XV. May the game and its horrible combat never darken our doorstep again. Ouch. But uh, Victor Hunter says, really brokenhearted over the cancellation of the rest of the 15 DLC. See, I mean, yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Luna and Arania deserve to have their stories fleshed out. The more or less, This more or less ensures that we'll never see a complete physical release of the complete 15 experience. It would have been nice to see what else Tabata could have done at Square. To some extent, I enjoyed every game he directed, even Third Birthday. He knows how to make RPG systems that feel granular but rewarding. I hope he gets more opportunity to make what he's best at. And Bobby Watson says, listening to your discussion regarding the lack of Diablo 4 announcement, they made me think about Square Enix and the fact that they generally announce their games way too early. And they, mm. uh, I understand companies wanting to build up hype for their games that they do it too far ahead of the actual release. So can't that be to the detriment to the reception of the game? If a game is released after years and years of expectations, how can it live up to what gamers expect from it? On the other hand, I do think but Nintendo and Bethesda did well with their reveals of Metroid Prime 4 and Elder Scrolls 6. Just a quick teaser to let people know that, yes, they are working on the games and will let us know when they have something, instead of showing flashy and dramatic trailers, but that may actually be far from what the games will end up being. 
Blizzard could possibly have done the same with Diablo 4. Just a logo, no release date, no trailer, just a quick heads up to confirm its existence. Then again, yeah. I'm not a marketer, so what do I know? <laughs> no, honestly, it would have been a smart idea on uh, Blizzard's part because people, having been in part of fandom for many, many, many years, I know that people just want a reassurance that, yes, we have not forgotten you. That's all they want to know. I guess, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that... I, I think the old, people could have waited for more Diablo 4, but I think they would have been merely a little bit disappointed if Diablo 4 hadn't been announced. They were actually upset that a mobile game got announced in its place. That felt yeah. like rubbing the salt in its wound. Yeah, I, 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 really, I still stand by that Blizzard just did not execute this well at all. No. Nah. Uh, Johnny Boy 407 I'm curious if Nadia has been able to make any more progress in Valkyria Chronicles 4. I'm getting near the end and totally hooked. I'm trying for ranks on all missions, including skirmishes and squad stories. For both Kat and Nadia, did you try for angry A ranks or just go through missions and damn the letter grade? Save the Empire. Oh, damn. My my whole, if you look at my list of missions, you just see all the letters of the alphabet because I do not care <laughs> about A listing any of this. I actually enjoyed the hell out of Vicario Chronicles 4. I had to stop playing to play Pokemon Let's Go, but I will get back to it. I'm pretty sure I'm I'm very close to the end, so... Uh, I want to do that, and I want to see what comes afterwards as well. All right. Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. If you enjoyed this podcast, and why wouldn't you be? I mean, you've been listening for this long. Uh, you should draw, leave us a review. Like We, we want to hear your feedback, especially if it's nice feedback, because nice feedback keeps us going. And also, <laughs> it, it helps the web. It helps the podcast. It uh, helps increase its visibility in that old iTunes search queue so do me a favor yes. leave us a good re uh review and i'm at the underscore catbot nadia is at nadia oxford uh next week is going to be interesting it's going to be a shorter week yes it is uh well for you anyway not for me <laughs> all right yes because you're going to be on black <laughs> friday though you got you know you get some time off after the black friday nightmare is over Oh yeah, I will be taking my time off Black Friday. You can you can count on that. Yeah, but we will be recording the podcast as usual. Uh, probably just, I mean, we'll be releasing it at the same time. We'll just record earlier in the week. Yeah. Yeah. So don't worry about that. We'll be back as usual. But uh, for Mike, Nadia, and myself, thanks for listening. Enjoy all of the great RPGs over, uh, that are, are now out. It's very mm -hmm. exciting. And until next time, happy adventuring.